0: J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. We have invited a cosmologist to join us, a planetary healer, futurist, and an author, Dr. Jude Curvan from England, who once studied at Oxford University, who's done a tremendous amount of work in understanding the mechanics of how the universe works. But beyond the mechanics. She has reached into, you could say, the cosmic hearts. She has reached a level of understanding through both science and her own intuitive nature to understand the way things work and the interconnectedness of all of the different fragments otherwise understood as of life and the universe. She brings them together in a very fine, refined confluence for us to understand in her book, The Cosmic Hologram in Formation at the Center of Creation with a foreword by Irvin Laszlo, who was on A Better World TV some years back. And it will be a very interesting discussion that we're about to have about the multidimensional realities that she has experienced since childhood and has worked with ever since, also helping to inform her own understanding and expansion of consciousness, including into the space of science and its language, so people of scientific mind, as well as spiritual, can understand what really is the interconnectedness of all things whatever language one would want to use. Jude holds a Ph.D. in archaeology from the University of Reading in the U.K., researching ancient cosmologies, and she holds a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in cosmology and quantum physics. She's the author of five nonfiction books, currently available in 15 languages and 25 countries, including Cosmos, a co-creator's guide to the whole world, co-authored with Dr. Irvin Laszlo. Her first fictionalized ebook, Legacy, is recently available at Amazon. Today's focus is going to be her latest book, which could have only been written now, she tells us, The Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation.
1: Welcome, Jude.
0: Such a pleasure to have you on a better world.
1: Well, Mitchell, it's a delight to be here. And my goodness, living up to that introduction, <laughs> Thank you so much for your kindness. You're and so welcome. Great to be here. It's just you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you do have to pardon me for my use of a, a poor British accent, but you inspire me to be British. <laughs> so. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jude, your work spans many fields, many uh, spaces, and one of the things we talk a lot about here at A Better World on radio and television is this idea of Mm holism, of the interconnectedness of all Mm -hmm. things, that in a sense there's really only one subject, and that subject is life itself, Mm -hmm. and then we categorize it into many different fields, Uh, but uh, underlying everything Mm -hmm. is sort of one singular heartbeat Mm -hmm. and from which we all operate. You've been coming from that place in your work for a long time and one of the beauties of your work is that first you've had these deep interdimensional experiences on one hand and then you went and sought out science studied it formally at one of the most uh, prestigious universities in the world and studied also with Stephen Hawking, as I recall. So this gave you a background in science and a grounding in it, as it were, to then understand and come to a place of uh, depth regarding your, let's say, more subjective experiences.
1: Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'd be delighted to, Mitchell. I mean, I, I, you know, when you go back into ancient times, I mean, my my doctorate, as you say, is is archaeology researching ancient cosmologies, and whatever the peoples of the ancient world did, they understood cosmology as intentionally seeking to understand the totality of reality and that wasn't just the physical realm but that was all their deep experiential intuitive insights
0: visible visible and invisible visible
1: and invisible and a recognition of the you know of consciousness of of something that was encompassing everything and of course our our, our modern science to some degree has focused on the the physical reality and to some degree just just peripheralized anything else, any experiential understanding, any perception of what consciousness is about, but also even in a way not admitting in many ways that to understand physics you have to understand non-physical realms anyway. Quantum physics only works. A, because our universe is is what's called non-locally interconnected on a universal level. In other words, as a unified entity. And secondly, that physical reality emerges from deeper non-physical realms. So, you know, there was a perspective of that, but most sciences don't, (laughs) don't go anywhere near that. And yet, what's converging now and the evidence now is I think very exciting because the evidence is, is now here that yes, reality is unified. And yes, as the ancients understood, ultimately mind is matter. And yes, consciousness isn't what we have. It's what we and the whole world are. And yet the scientifically based evidence for that to complement the universal spiritual experiences of millennia So interesting. I want to just go back for a moment
0: to appreciate science to say this, Jude, that even prior to quantum physics, in classical physics, and please correct me if my understanding is not right on, we understood that there was this thing called an atom, which we referred to as the smallest unit of the universe. And since we understand charms and quarks and you know subatomic particles, um, but in classical physics, even with the atom, with the proton, neutron, electron arrangements, it was understood that the space between the orbits, the, the shelves, was 99 some odd percent what was present which was, you know, we refer to as nothing, and uh, that is debatable, whether it's nothing or a level of intelligence that we just don't see. point is, that even classically speaking, it was understood that whatever appears solid is just that, an appearance, and that there is a, you could say, momentary configuration of atomic, then molecular structure that gave the appearance and the experience of solidity. I'm saying all of this that was an understanding prior to quantum physics.
1: It wasn't so much before, funnily enough, because the atom was only discovered a little while be, before the discoveries that led to quantum physics. So we we think of this as going way back into classical terms and in fact the Greeks postulated the presence or the, or the existence of atoms But it wasn't really until alongside quantum physics... And by the
0: way, so did the ancient Vedic teachings. Yes,
1: they did. Thousands
0: of years even
1: before the Greeks. Absolutely. And the Vedic teachings probably offer us the deepest wisdom from the past. Because now, you know, as we go into this, what I think is of a 21st century scientific revolution, which is as much about, more about a revolution of consciousness it is just scientific... Then, the ancient Vedic wisdom is really being seen as as being incredibly prescient
0: and it's, incredibly scientific
1: yes, <laughs> because it was sacred science, yes, it was a sacred science mm-hmm. that actually tra- sought to understand the whole of the nature of reality, but yes you 're absolutely right, this idea of, of and I, I sometimes and I should stop myself saying nothingness, it's not nothing. it's rather no-thingness, because it is is consciousness, but it's not manifested in form as a thing as we might see it, which of course itself is, um, as I say in the book, information, literally informed patterns of information.
0: But this of course is underlying in Buddhist psychology, Buddhist understanding. You know, it's just there. Form and non-form are the same.
1: Indeed. And that, not, yeah,
0: a Taoist point of view is that everything, is going to sound funny, but everything is material. It's just a level of refinement of the materiality, if you will, of a given substance or what have you from the most dense, which we would call a table, a chair, or something of that sort uh, lead all the way to the most refined, which we would refer to as air, ether, or spirits.
1: Exactly. So, but you know, uh, and, but and, and it's and, all a
0: matter of vibrating uh, matter,
1: or, or or even perhaps. I love that we're we're looking at words and terminologies because, you no, know, what this is showing is mind is matter. Correct. Information is reality. You know. What we call matter is incredibly ephemeral, as we're saying, but also information, the same digital bits of information that form the basis of all our computers, our telecommunications, our technologies, is exactly the same as the universal information that literally is the most fundamental stuff of reality. Information expresses energy matter information expressed as space-time in complementary ways but nonetheless the most fundamental stuff of
0: all we call reality. So an important point to make which we did just now for A Better World TV is this idea that we tend to think of energy as the most fundamental foundational substrate of reality. But what you're saying is that information underlies that and out of that information, the fundamental patterns of the universe, which can probably be described in geometrical, what we would refer to really as sacred geometrical terms, and we say sacred because if it's that primordial, it deserves to be honored as sacred, right? And so out of that sphere out of that circle out of that triangle out of that square as an exa- as examples out of that donut that torus shape we see creation
1: absolutely and and what we also realize thanks to computers and the ability to analyze vast amounts of of data we see those informed patterns and and they're not the they're not the idealized geometries of the ancients the squares, the triangles, they're called fractal patterns because they're fragmented dimensionally. So when we look at a cloud, the outline of a cloud, an outline of a cloud actually isn't one-dimensional, nor is it two-dimensional. It's a fragmented 1.26 dimensions. In other words, when we analyze all complex... So it's not three-dimensional. Well, the question is, what is three-dimensional? And as I write in the book, and more and more cosmologists are understanding yes. that all we call three-dimensionality actually is rather more a holographic projection. Yes, that is that is two-dimensional in the sense of space-time. So you know, it just appears three-dimensional, just as the table appears solid, even though, as you quite rightly say, it is. 99 point uh, percentage, right. no thingness. So what consciousness is fantastically done is co-create the appearance of physical reality. But it is nonetheless consciousness expressing itself in a way that enables a universe, our universe, to exist and evolve as a adventure playground (laughs) for consciousness to exist and evolve into ever greater levels of complexity and self-awareness. And by restating physics as algorithms of information, as understanding that all we call reality is fundamentally information and so consciousness, we transcend that appearance of duality, of separation, Not just solidity, I think that the the real downside of this wonderful appearance of duality is that we've come to the mistaken perspective that we are separate from each other, from our beloved Mother Earth, from the rest of of the cosmos. And what this is showing, that that is not the true nature of reality, that reality is truly unified, as the ancients understood, absolutely understood. And so for us now perhaps at this point in terms of our global situation, it's an opportunity to heal our unified nature of reality. And so where people haven't offered themselves the experiences to enter that and to explore that, to actually be open to that. Because, you know, science tends to be the comfort blanket for a lot of folks. The scientific evidence is now absolutely compelling. It's in folks. It's in and it's got your back because yes, right. you can go and explore You know, with a copy of the book under your arm or right. under your pillow or whatever. I've, I've got heard. the
0: evidence right yes. here. <laughs> There's no
1: refuting it. And it's not like the, the joy is it. it's not my evidence you know. So sure. it, it's, it's, it's literally it's evidence, evidence, sure. evidence and it ain't my evidence.
0: <laughs> well you collated it And uh, I mean, I know you are one among many who have, but you've done it with your own unique voice and experience that had the uh, overarching understanding of the interconnectedness of things through your own consciousness, through your own heart, and that's what allows it to have a certain voice that can be heard by both the scientist and the poet, if you will.
1: Uh, absolutely. But I guess, I, and I don't want to big myself up on this, no. but I think that, that I don't think many people have brought this evidence for because this evidence was not available until now. I mean, when I look at the last four or five years so much of what I write in the book, whether it's about the studies... Maybe
0: to this extent. That's the this. point. Yeah. That's the point.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, folks have brought some wonderful understanding forward of quantum experiments and Surely. supernormal experiments. But what this, yes. the book's doing is it's, it's literally from the smallest to the largest scales and across every field of research. You know, not just physics and cosmology but chemistry, meteorology, um, biology, social systems, showing that all our collective behaviors have exactly the same fractal patternings as throughout the natural world. So I think it's for the first time the level of evidence, yes. the breadth of evidence has been so compelling as, as I was able yes. to write about.
0: You're reminding me, Jude, of a lecture I was at at the ICING conference, which is the International Institute for Subtle Energy Medicine in Boulder some years back I was dealing with an EEG device with a good uh, friend and colleague of mine back then and we were attending this and I believe the physicist's name from Columbia University was Brian Green, brought in to be one of the keynote speakers there and very interesting fellow who had a wonderful PowerPoint and we were all right there with him However, until one moment, this new agey kind of spiritualistic crowd took great, great umbrage at his perspective that said, what I'm saying exists in the quantum mechanical world of the quanta is not generalizable and scalable to other fractal levels. And we all went there. You could almost hear the hush, and everyone went, what? We invited you to this conference to say something like that? It was kind of funny, actually. But he, from his worldview, that was true. And we, who don't have the rigorous training that he had, felt a different reality was true. And you have now come along some years later, and you have verified what we felt was true and what we really understood as true.
1: I think that's a very fair point, and, and honoring Brian and honoring all scientists, because, you know, oh, yeah. we, everybody goes down their route. But I do think that a lot of science is quite siloed still. I've met very, very, very few physicists who understand biology or all these other realms. And I spent 60 years you know, a very scenic route, investigating all of these, <laughs> the but also experiencing, yeah. and I think that's a very sure. important point, because most scientists are taught very early on that science is objective, ornately objective, and it tries to be, and that's a wonderfully powerful tool in terms of trying to replicate evidence, and, and therefore strengthening it, and, you know, but then, as scientists, to go wherever that evidence leads. But I think the danger of that is that, as quantum physics has known from the get-go, there really is no separation between an observer and an observed. We know that through masses of quantum scale uh, understanding. But, you know, entanglement, non-local connectivity, has been experimentally proven in the lab to the level of small diamonds. And actually last year, out in astronomy, there's a beautiful experiment that correlates photons in the lab and from stars 600 light years away that shows that tanglement extends at least 600 light years. Now, the other side of that, that's experimental. But we know from something called Bell's theorem that quantum physics doesn't work unless there is universal non-locality so you know with all due respect to what he said i'm with you because the evidence and the theory to back the evidence is is clearly that our universe exists evolves as a unified entity non-locally connected and yet the beauty of it is within this fabulous construct of informed holographic physical reality there is causality there's time flowing, there's space Mm -hmm. expanding, so we can not just exist but our universe evolves into ever greater level of complexity and self-awareness.
0: Beautiful, beautifully put. You know, it also allows us the linearity and the power of that, which is creating a narrative and telling a story. And we can tell a story, I mean, what what do we have as some of our original indigenous stories but creation myths? How did the universe come into existence? And that's what we have and you could really look at from the larger perspective the story of science. Science is now our main religion and everybody more or less subscribes to it except for those people in the White House. <laughs> and, uh, um, I'd say, <laughs> excuse me. And What we see is that there is the, the joy and beauty of science and the objective perspective. Understanding, you and I and our, our friends, colleagues, that inside that story is the subjective as well because the observer is inside the experiment called consciousness. <laughs> and, uh, and that everything is actually a story about that. Everything. So I think that that observation, that the observer is affecting the observed, that experimentally proven study, along with non-locality i.e. entanglement, are two of the fundamental um, points that explode our understanding of ordinary reality. And if people could grok those two points, then it's really a revolution in consciousness.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's, you know, a lot of people have grogged that. A lot of people through their own direct experiences have come to that perspective. The issue for me is that we're not at a tipping point within our collective awareness about it. about it. And there are sufficient folks who do look to science and who do look to science to guide them into the validation of the nature of reality. They're not even open to the possibility of those portals being open to those deeper experiences. And, and, and you know, some are, are, are closed doors because of that. Others have religious or spiritual belief but with relatively little direct experience for one reason or another. Their priest may tell them, you know, just believe it or trust it or trust me or whatever.
0: Yes, have faith. Have faith.
1: And what this is about, and I think is really crucial, as you say, as a a revolution in consciousness, is that the scientific evidence that I'm writing about in this book across all scales of existence and, and fields of research is coming to this compelling evidence that information is reality, mind is matter, reality is unified, consciousness is is everything. So it's the scientific evidence that, of course, then absolutely reconciles with universal spiritual experiences. But because it's the science and and the evidence of the science from the whole of cosmology, down to the Planck scale, from the minutest to the most majestic, to the whole universe, you know, showing that cities grow in the same way that galaxies form, that um, you know, atomic transitions have the same informed patterning as the evolution of of galactic clusters, that the internet operates from the informed patterning, the dynamic informational patterning that pervades biological ecosystems, and 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 and. Pulling all this together actually gives us that comfort blanket <laughs> that says this is real. This, I, I don't want to, i uh, please I am honoring all religions and all spiritual experiences, but saying this is beyond belief, because instead of believing, somebody asked Jung on his deathbed, do you believe in God? He said, no. He said, I know God. And although there's been many, numerous through millennia, experiential understanding as you say we generally rely as the west as our collective global society on science science has told us up till now that uh, reality is just physical we're all separate it's all random it's all whatever whatever science is about to completely transform and expand its perspective but as it does it, it it also resolves and reconciles with spiritual experience. There's no need to, to, to feel schizophrenic about your beliefs and, oh, science says this, or I trust this, but, oh, science says something differently. And we're on the, the verge of a healing, healing our worldviews. When we heal our worldviews, guess what? We heal our behaviors.
0: It's so funny, Jude, that you said that about <laughs> schizophrenic because when I was <laughs> contemplating interviewing to you today and upon reading the book, etc., I was thinking to myself, you know, in fact this makes a case for collective schizophrenia that we have all been experiencing between yeah. the division that we are beholden to in many ways culturally between science and faith and religion as though they are separate. And as I said earlier, there was a divorce that happened curiously instigated by the Catholic Church. We are not allowed to get divorced, (laughs) but yet they orchestrated one back around approximately Galileo's time because it was not in their own self-interest to have a robust science and astronomy that was coming up with ideas that they perceived as contrary exactly. to their own. Exactly. And I emphasize the word perceived because if there were some, interestingly, priests who were also scientists then and now who understood that they are utterly complementary. Exactly. Like the Dalai Lama understands that, you know, and, you know, many. Jewish rabbis understand and appreciate that science is yet another expression of the divine, not as separate from, but rather another aspect of our consciousness and our curious nature.
1: It's a language, it's a modality, it's a way of knowing, it's a way of knowing, but it's not the whole way of knowing, but what it can do and I think this is really, what it's really good at, is if it follows the evidence then it's really good at explaining the nature of physical reality. The point is it's always pushed anything to do with consciousness to the side. Yes. But of course, if consciousness is reality, which the evidence is showing it absolutely is, then science cannot push consciousness to the side without limiting its own experimental and evidential investigation of the nature of reality. And it's come to that rocking a hard spot point because it, it actually hit that buffer, it should have hit that buffer a hundred years ago with quantum theory and relativity. So theory. what happened? I think there was such a strong sense of material reductionism within the tradition.
0: That, that overrode it. There was the actually, otherwise explosion in consciousness which yeah. would have naturally followed.
1: Exactly. And what I find, you know, you talked about the, the, the irony of the Catholic Church driving yeah. the divorce when they don't let divorce. Well, <laughs> the irony for me is that what happened eight or so years ago is that the philosophical science and philosophy is a love of knowing the philosophical approach of science that went deeper and deeper and understood this and would have brought in consciousness, as so many of the pioneers did, like Planck and, and Einstein and many others, it, um, um, it just went down the technological line. And it got, we got, it got clever and clever and clever, and instead of understanding the ramifications of consciousness, used quantum mechanics to drive clever and clever technologies. And now which
0: had a material benefit, a economic ma- benefit. Abs-
1: and, so, and great, and all great, but not at the cost of Deeper what, understanding. Exactly. And yet now, the information, the same digitized information that it underpins all our technologies, that enables virtual realities to be immersed into, that actually creates holograms, is meaning that, you know, there's more openness. To understanding that all the that information is exactly the same as the universal information that is reality. So the technologies, the virtual realities, the holograms, the technologies are like kids' toys, for which reality is the master class. So it's gone full circle. So the technologies now can actually be, you know, almost open the door to the predisposition to understand and accept this, which I love.
0: We are speaking with Jude Curvan, the author of The Cologram In Formation, that is, in dash formation, at the center of creation on a better world radio with Mitchell J. Raven. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. New York time, Eastern Standard Time. You can reach us through www.abetterworld.tv. As many of you know, we have a free newsletter that's available. You can sign up for it right there at that website, abetterworld.tv, and we have a whole lot more for you to tune into, including the weekly radio radio and TV show every Monday at 7 p.m. again in New York, and if you want and you live in New York and Manhattan, you can watch it on television or you can watch it through that very same website. From anywhere. So please become part of a Better World family and community. Love to have you, and uh, we love your uh, contribution and consciousness to our show. So we're going to continue with Jude right now in looking at and exploring the relationship of matter and spirit, of energy, matter, frequency, and understanding, even curiously, the finite nature of the universe, that which we call the universe, and what may be outside it? Dot, 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 question mark, question mark. So Jude, hi. Hi. So you're here at a better world. <laughs> the center of our universe. <laughs> Bless you, Mitchell. It's absolute delight to be here. I'm so glad. So it's interesting. You, you In your book, you mm-hmm. lay out certain uh, points that were, while much of it was kind of a gestaltically known to me in a flash, like I get it. Um, There were other points that were not, and this is one of them, except for when you explained it to me and then I got it through your explanation, which is the time, space, Mm -hmm. matter, energy continuum Mm -hmm. that we refer to as our universe is in some way, I gather from you, a finite system, a subset, if you will, of a larger whole.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Could you talk about that interface a bit?
1: Be delighted to. Well, first of all, cosmologists are not cosmologists. Is just, that a
0: useful question in light ex- of what we're question. discussing? I, okay, I think so. Because you've laid out the universe and like, where do you begin? Baseball? I mean, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Always begin with baseball. Always begin and end with baseball. There
0: you go. <laughs> Please go.
1: Well, I, I guess, again, it's, this is very similar to ancient Vedic, ancient Indian understanding. Yes. And the ancient Indian sages described our universe as an outbreath of Brahma. And we now cosmologically know that our universe of space-time began 13.8 billion years ago. And it's often called the Big Bang, but it wasn't a bang. It certainly wasn't big, but it certainly wasn't a bang. (laughs) It was tiny, and it was incredibly ordered. On the
0: level of quantum?
1: Well, on the level just of every physical attribute you can consider. So amazing level of order. Things weren't flying around. They were incredibly ordered and immensely fine-tuned. When we look at all the physics and uh, laws of physics and put them together, there's been an analysis done uh, by Lee Smolin at the Perimeter Institute in Ontario, Canada, showing that if the forces of our universe weren't as exactly fine-tuned as they are to the extent of 1 in 10 to the 27, that's in one part in 1 followed by 27 zeros we wouldn't be here. Our universe would not have even begun to begin. So what we know cosmologically is that first moment of what we call space-time was, instead of a, a bang, was was what I'm calling the big breath, which again refers back to ancient um, wisdom, littering out breath of consciousness. And also we're understanding from different levels of physics and cosmology that our universe is is finite. It began in a finite way. The way in which um, It had a beginning point. It had a beginning point from which time flowed and space expanded. And at that beginning point, everything was there enabling our universe to exist and then to evolve. Okay? Now, so our, our universe began in a finite way. Everything in our universe is finite. Yes, a finite. Energy and matter are finite.
0: Is that part of that? this notion of mortality?
1: There is, but mortality is, is a very, you know, it's a human understanding about the demise of our physical body. Correct. But if you look at our entire universe, we could describe it as a universe soul being born 13.8 billion years as an, an outbreath of consciousness, existing, evolving, ever greater levels of complexity and self-awareness through a lifetime that will complete at some point. The latest measurements, which are all about how much hydrogen is left to make more stars, um, show that there's only about you know 95 percent of stars that could ever form have already formed. We're running out of hydrogen. Our universe is running out of so hydrogen. So is
0: that like saying that the sun itself is going to wane at a certain oh, point? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's a good 25, 26 billion
1: years... Well, maybe less than that. We're probably maybe. talking about our entire universe in tens, in, you know, in tens of billions. Okay. Now, that's a heck of a long time. I don't think any of us or yeah. our listeners should worry about this. But it, it, it is a finite time. It's not an infinite time. That's and, the there's, point. and there's way other reasons that you know, are probably too much for us to go into as to why that really is the case. Mm-hmm. But our universe, again, as the ancients understood, as a finite thought form, in the infinite mind of the cosmos. So when we look at it like that, and when we restate the laws of physics as informational algorithms, yeah, enabling our universe to exist and evolve, suddenly we start getting a clear understanding of why and how our universe is as it is with information expressed in one way, Universally conserved as energy matter, and in another way, informationally entropically at time. We actually go back 150 years to the laws of thermodynamics. I mean, you say
0: entropically, what, yeah. what does that imply?
1: What it means is there are two laws of thermodynamics that most of us learned as kids. Surely. And they were discovered. Conservation. Cons- the first law is that within a closed system and we're now knowing our universe to be a closed, a closed system, system. Yeah. that um sorry, that uh, that energy is universally conserved. In other words, it can change its form, but it stays the overall constant. the sense constant. Now, with quantum theory we know that energy and matter are equivalent. So that then moves to On a to, continuum. Well Quantized, of course. Yes. So that then means the first law gets changed to energy matter within our universe as a closed system is universally conserved Mm -hmm. from the get-go of the big breath through to the end. Now, that is a very simplified expression of what quantum mechanics is all about because quantum mechanics is about energy matter and how it behaves. But you'll notice there's no mention of time. In that okay. first law. So we get to the second law. This is where the skinny happens. This is okay. where the meat comes in. <laughs> and the second law of Boltzmann, of thermodynamics, says that the entropy, which is not about order disorder, it's more about the microstates of a closed system, always increase. So in other words, it was, it was seen as order to disorder, but it's actually the level of microstates in a closed system always increases. So think of it, if you have a pack of cards and you take them out of their cellophane wrapper and they're in a particular order, yeah, you then throw them up in the air and they land all over the place and they'll be more disordered. They won't be in that same order for sure. You throw them up again and they're changed again. So instead of order to disorder, it's about the number of microstates increasing, and it always increases throughout time, okay? So we go back to the beginning of our universe, the beginning of time itself. Our universe had the lowest informational entropy it could have, and then time flowed. And it increased. Yes, and that's the flow of time itself is the flow of informational entropy. And because of the way the... Oh, that's
0: why you yes. say there's
1: less information in the past yes. than
0: in the present or the future. Because
1: our entire universe is increasing its informational content.
0: Acquisition increases. <laughs> Evolution.
1: Information. Evolution ever greater levels of complexity for our universe as a whole. Now, the other piece of this is space, because what cosmologists, through what they're calling the holographic principle, and it comes from the study of black holes, study black holes show that the information, that the star that then collapses to be a black hole, all that information is not lost. It's held on the event horizon of the black hole but it's proportional not to the volume of the black hole or the volume of the original star, but the surface area, which is Mm. holographic. Mm. So if we see what we call space as being rather like a balloon, boundary of the balloon, the boundary of space, which is also the boundary of space-time because space and time are connected as space-time, time must flow, space must expand, for this informationally entropic process that is the experience and the exploration and the evolution of consciousness within our universe to happen. So those two laws of thermodynamics re-expressed as two laws of information. Along the way, our quantum theory for the first law Relativity for the second law. Mm. So quantum theory, relativity theory are complementary aspects of the expression of information. And that enables them for the first time to be able to be reconciled. Interesting.
0: <laughs> so this work, this world view Jude, is finally reconciled what appeared historically to be two distinct approaches to the nature of reality, yeah, one the einstein's theory of relativity, yeah. some say from his actual wife or girlfriend, and others indeed uh, from <laughs> the point of view of the uh, the presence of the feminine, and then of course quantum theory, quantum mechanics, yeah. which seem to live in its own little universe, and here we see the interconnectedness and the confluence of the two
1: absolutely and you know that's why quantum physicists have such a hard notion of time because the first law of thermodynamics through quantum theory to the first law of information has no notion of time it just enables our universe to exist it's only the second law of thermodynamics restated as a law of information entropic information the information content of a system And and therefore, the realization that information entropically expresses itself as space-time understands relativity. So by doing that, you not only get to an understanding of unified reality, but along the way, there's a natural reconciliation of quantum and relativity theories as those complementary expressions of information and that's why this attempt to reconcile them through quantum gravity has just hit the buffers because what it's tried to do is quantize space-time and explain time but it's tried to do the quantization of of, of gravity and space-time is not quantized and the understanding of gravity waves which we've now detected are a natural uh, prediction of relativity theory but they don't need the quantized graviton as a force carrier to make them happen. Mm. Whereas if we do it this way of information, it, there's a natural understanding that gravity and acceleration are informationally entropic, that in fact all forces are informationally
0: entropic. So there's a different common denominator, and that common denominator is actually information. Information. So does that then mean that waves in the behavior of a thing or in space in any way, shape, or form, what we refer to as a vibration, uh, where, you know, in my world, energy, medicine, or any number of different types of healing phenomena occur through frequencies. Or so we speak of it that way.
1: You do. but Are you saying
0: that information underlies even the understanding of frequency and vibration?
1: Totally. And so really what we call energy medicine is informational medicine. Because it's not just the frequency, it's the intention that you're applying to that frequency. So absolutely... It's a more
0: integrated worldview.
1: Very much so. Or cosmo view. A cosmo cosmo. view. (laughs) And and you're absolutely right, because the beauty of the way in which consciousness constructs physical reality as energy matter, through that route we've discussed and space-time, means that energy matter is both quantized which means that it's the perfect, most simple way of expressing digitized information as energy-matter. They're equivalent, but also that everything is vibrational, as Louis de Broglie understood. You know, energy-matter being equivalent means if energy is vibrational, then matter is vibrational. So we, we need to understand them together. But vibration and resonance. Mm-hmm. And all of the musical metaphors and analogies we yes. could have
0: For are, the e- universe.
1: are exactly right. You know, I say that if information is the notes, then consciousness is the music of our universe. Oh. And we, if our universe is the composer and the conductor, then we are the microcosmic musicians wow. that co-create. The cosmic symphony mm. of our universe's story mm. and song.
0: Jude Kuraban cum Pythagoras <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm
1: not wearing a toga for anybody.
0: <laughs> Sans toga. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> That's funny. That was so beautifully. That was very elegantly put. I really appreciate that. No, that that really helps. Now, up, especially since we're kind of using the musical metaphor here, mm-hmm. we have in music analog and we have digitized music. Indeed. And you keep referring to digitized as in bits and bytes that we have in our computer world. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship between analog and all that you're saying regarding information?
1: Well, if you can have a sense that in finite form that... Um Information is digitized because it, it just as energy matter is quantized. Mm-hmm. Expression of that, the analog is the continuity. In in computer speak, it's the equivalent of what's called qubits. Oh. And it's the wow. waves of possibility, yes, of informational possibilities before they then re- are real is potential before they are real eyes as digitized information. Within space time, because sure. we have this.
0: Realized,
1: i.e., material. Materialized, materialized yes. manifested. Both. Right, yeah. manifested. And I spell realized as in real eyes. Yes, sure. But of course, the entirety, all of this is consciousness. It's not what we have, it's what we in the whole world are. So all those potentialities are playing out, if you like, on the non physicalized boundaries of, of of our holographic, of our cosmic hologram of the universe. But also in in the sense of intentionalizing the possible futures, almost like a bow wave, you know when you 're in a boat and you 're going across the lake or on a ship on the ocean, right at the front of the bow, there's this bow wave where there 's this turbulent post, you know wave mm-hmm. that then the ship moves through. well, perhaps we can think of the you know the the, the dynamic Possibilities, as Deepak Chopra says, the field of all possibilities, mm-hmm. being that bow wave that then crystallizes into the realization I mean, said, of the. And right. I, I visited Rumi's um, tomb
0: mm-hmm. in Konya
1: and just communed with him at oh this level. So my. that was special. Anyway, that, that so beautiful. Yes, yeah.
0: so it's so, that, all so that's it. It's, it's all, all of a piece.
1: piece. I've had many teachers, yeah. many many teachers. Yeah. And Deepak and Rumi are two beautiful ones. Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, indeed. This is so delicious. (laughs) Um, I want to, you know, I have just a couple of thousand more questions. (laughs) A thousand. Um, (laughs) thousand. (laughs) uh, When we look at this notion of Mm time-space and energy-matter as being a subset, finite subset. A complementary expressions, Complementary. Of
1: information.
0: But yet, mm-hmm. there's a boundary. Mm-hmm. So when there's a boundary, it means there's something inside, like mm-hmm. a cell, mm-hmm. and all the stuff of the cell. Mm-hmm. And there's what is outside the cell yep. on the other side of the cell wall. Indeed. So if we were to think of this time, space, energy, matter, Continuum tapestry of the outbreath, i.e., creation, in accordance with all of the mythical creation myths that we have across the planet in indigenous wisdom teachings from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. We have something that is also posited as outside Indeed. of the cell wall. Indeed. Do enlighten us. <laughs> I now try. I wanna have some fun first. I wanna have some fun. <laughs> because in Buddhist yes. psychology yes. You will, um you have this idea of the undying and the unborn. You have their uh position of eternity. In the Taoist perspective you have an idea of immortality not born, not dying. And that can even be physical, by the way. But aside from that, I'm wondering if that outsideness is where the notion of eternity and immortality may actually live. I want to also bring it down to the personal, if you will. In the work of many teachers, from Gurdjieff to Eckhart Tolle, idea of being so present in the moment with your physical self that you actually step outside the stream of time. If one steps outside the stream of time, time effectively for that moment if you will, pardon the tautology, stops. You're outside of that stream and you've entered another reality. So I'm wondering if there is some interface here between what I'm saying and what's outside of that big cosmic cell wall.
1: I love that, and all all of the, all of the. Um, If you have a sense that what we're coming to a perspective of is, is very, very similar to the ancient, especially the ancient Vedic understanding of essentially finite universes that are born, and and exist and evolve as a thought form, as a finite thought form, as a finite outbreath uh, of Brahma, of God, of, of of cosmic mind. So what I've been describing, what we've been exploring so far, is is within that big breath, within the bubble, within the thought form, there is this this concept, this this construct of consciousness. We call space time. Um, with information expressed as energy matter, allowing us to be informed in manifest form. Mm-hmm. And also through the, through the information expressed entropically as time and space for our universe not just to exist, but to evolve, as we've described, um, into ever, la- lever, uh, ever greater levels of complexity. Oh, our uh, Prigogine, the work of Prigogine. Yeah, but many, many others. Many, beyond, many others. Yeah, okay. Way beyond and, okay. and many others. Sure.
0: I'm just bringing to light what little knowledge I have.
1: You have (laughs) vast knowledge. You know you have. And so have those wonderful people. But I'm just trying to sort of weave this together. You say the point about being present. Completely agree with you. But that's you and I and many others as microcosmic co-creators. Really in that point, our consciousness being non-local. Being beyond space-time, mm-hmm. but our entire universe carries on. It's just like there's a time-out for us, but the baseball game goes on, or the yes. basketball game goes on. Our universe's basketball game goes on when we decide to take time-out. Yeah. Now, the the point I mentioned earlier is that our universe within space-time has this causality: the past having less informational content than this. You know, cause has less information than effect all going forward, and yet we also know... Like a baby who has less knowledge. Exactly, than an adult, exactly Exactly so, exactly so. And yet our universe is non-locally connected beyond space-time as a unified entity. So it knows itself the whole time as it evolves and experiences, yet within space-time its microcosmic representatives such as ourselves, but not only ourselves, mm-hmm. experience that manifested reality to learn, to grow, to the universe wants to know itself more and more, just as an adult is searching, you know, you know, especially if you've got Sagittarius moon, you know what I mean. <laughs> but you know, there is that continuous curiosity yeah. and search. Now, that's still a finite thought form within an infinity. Within that and around that boundary, that holographic membrane boundary of our universe are still many levels of self-awareness. There are archetypal levels, there are deified levels, there are ascended masters. Within our planetary consciousness of our beloved Gaia, there are elemental and devic realms, there are ancestral perspectives. You know, there are so many rich Etheric, levels. Astral, et all of them, all of them. Interdimensional. Yeah. Like if you, if, you, if you actually look at a bubble. You'll look at a bubble and you'll see the light reflecting like rainbow light off it. Think of our universe as a rainbow bubble and all the different colors of that holographic boundary, those different levels of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And yet, it exists and evolves as a, as a unified entity within space-time. But playing out on all these levels. But that's a finite thought form. At the end of its days... Perhaps our universe, just like a bubble bursting with all its tiny, tiny sparklets being released into the air, then the sparklets of our universal intelligence and us, all the tiny microcosmic individuated expressions of its consciousness, just going on to new adventures perhaps within the infinite, infinite, eternal cosmic plenum that Einstein called cosmic mind. So it's the most grand, for me, empowering, wonderful perspective of realities at all plays out crucially at the level of our everyday lives. Because when we've, our beliefs are fragmented, our perspectives of the nature of reality are uh, fragmented as they have been, our behaviors are fragmented. Surely,
0: surely. So the practical nature of all that you are sharing comes down, if you will, to some idea of creating internal coherence, both of brain
1: and of heart. Oh, completely a purpose and of purpose, that, that ancient trinity of, of, of head, heart, and hands, yes. you know. and, and Body, all, speech, and mind. Yes, all of it, all of it, and yeah. the masculine, feminine, child. You know, all of these trinities are very profoundly revelatory about the nature of how consciousness explores itself. And so, yes, very much so. And, of course, realizing that the inner and the outer are merely perspectives. They're merely how we look at it. call them linguistic conveniences.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And when we when we transform on an inner, we transform the outer. When we transform the outer, the inner. But it is that inner, and it's healing the trauma. I also feel. Yes. Of 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 where we've got to because of our duality based perspectives. So it's both understanding and experiencing this this understanding of unity reality, unified reality. Jump, we're free because we're still holding traumas from the journeying we've made on that duality uh, adventure. So we need yes. to, I think we need to honor that as well as, and it does go alongside, and then, in my view, we can progressively step from the understanding to the experiencing and the embodying of unity, awareness, which is the deep reality of the cosmos.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. I, I I so agree with you, and on this show I speak a lot, because of my background in work in psychology, of uh, prenatal education, awareness trauma, just coming down the birth canal in itself. I talk a lot about brain development, that our world view is largely conditioned by the Type of brain that we are spending most of our time dwelling inside of—is it the reptilian? Is it the mammalian? Is it the prefrontal cortex? Or—and I really see the heart as part of the brain system, quite honestly—an electrical living intelligence um, as the you know the final expression, you know, the ultimate, I should say, expression of brain intelligence, working, as you were always saying, with mind, which is psyche, which is in the ancient Greek psuche means breath. So it's not separate from, but it's that larger idea of a a cosmic mind.
1: That was certainly
0: the Greek idea.
1: Totally. And I love your reference between breath and and mind, breath and spirit. So when I talk about our universe souls, experience as an experience of consciousness that big breath is big spirit it is it is all of it all of it as as unified and yet we're unique as microcosmic co-creators so each of our parts of play we yeah going back to the music analogy let's sound our authentic note because every note is different within this cosmic symphony so let's be authentic in that and we can only do that when we heal the the schisms, you know, it's like a bell. If you crack a bell, it can't play its note. So it's healing that as a crucial part of it. Some
0: say that part of that division is even uh, the male-female gender distinction. And that that is another thing that needs to be healed. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Dear Taoist scholar friend of mine, Michael Wynn, spoke of that in a, in a class I recently took oh, with him, completely. Where, where originally, if you want to posit the creation story of, let's say, Adam and Eve, even like pre-Eve, you know, there was one being that, and there are many examples in nature, that there is only one gender that procreates itself through sure. itself without being engendered, so to speak, with, you know, an external, um, you know, sperm, for instance. You know, it hatches new life in its own body.
1: I find that absolutely. Do you see that, oh, they? completely. Because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've experienced.
0: Because I'm so think. gender um <laughs> identified <laughs> I don't really like that idea. <laughs> but I feel that you know theoretically, eventually I'll get there. You know? it, well, it,
1: it, there is so much <laughs> I like richness. The gender. <laughs> me too. Me yes. too. But there is so much richness in what you just said yes. because, of course, the ancients really valued what they call the sacred marriage of the coming together of the masculine feminine as complementary. You know, we talk about it needs two pillars to hold up the sky. But but at a deeper level, you know, you're deeply... wise in the way of the ancient Indian tradition and of course the Vedic tradition was that our consciousness um, was moderated through the Eid of the Pingala and the Shashumna mm-hmm. which of course was the divine feminine masculine child through our nadis, through our, right. our chakras. So this understanding that each and every one of us you know, whether, a, whether we're an NFL quarterback or whether we're a monk or whether we're whatever
0: <laughs> or whether we're yeah. me
1: or you we all have the feminine, masculine child playing through us, in whatever exactly. balance or imbalance Shakina we have. In Shek, the absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But I find it fascinating that at this point in time, going on to what you were saying, that we have such an opening of different gendered expressions and experience you know whether it's the lgbt community whether you know whether it's folks who are identifying themselves in particular gender expressions our human collective psyche i feel as part of our own evolutionary process is adventuring and authenticizing and experiencing in a much more fluid way with gender and if you go beyond the biological expression and you go to the psychological indeed and spiritual expression i an feel
0: archetypal an
1: archetypal expression i feel that's what a lot of this is about as part of an evolutionary impulse to go you know wherever we are going forward and i trust emergency into emergence. But, uh, yes, yeah.
0: indeed. No, I, I very much appreciate it. And, you know, we can't help but, you know, invoke the wisdom of C.G. Jung in this with his understanding of the anima yeah. and the animus as two a- complementary aspects, sometimes antagonistic, uh, within one human being soul. Yeah, and that when those two come together, that we create some sense of harmony
1: and alliance, right? Uh, and the child is born. Yes. You know, the child exactly. of creativity, the child of flow, the child. There you, go. you know, that was always the, the perspective of the, the ancient trinities, you know, the sacred marriage bringing forth the sacred child in us.
0: Coming full circle, and uh, I know that time is finite and our time is beginning <laughs> to run, <laughs> but uh, um, I'm still curious about what's outside that cell wall, however, and its relationship to inside the cell wall, sure. which I feel you've
1: begun to answer, but I think that there's more there. Um uh, I, I there is, and, and I can only express it in experiential terms and, and mystics yes, have done this.
0: Exactly. For it's what we refer to as the ineffable. The
1: ineffable, the numinous, when you are exactly. in that you no know, when you are in that no-thingness-everythingness, when you are in that no-time-all-time, when you are in the beingness of the infinity of cosmic mind. Let me ask you a question, Jude.
0: This has been on my mind since I picked up your book. I refer to our universe as actually being composed of intelligence. Emotional intelligence, intellectual intelligence, which we're most familiar with, but a lot of the work that I do in counseling and coaching, etc., involves emotional intelligence. And sometimes it's thwarted nature, it's congested nature, etc. But still, in all, it's intelligence of the heart that is seeking expression. Yeah. And it will do so either in mature ways or immature ways, evolve ways or not, and hence we have the world that we have today is one kind of simplistic, linear way of putting it, but it will suffice for now. Um, You are using the word information, which I also see as a very useful word. I'm wondering, is it possible that information actually consists of intelligence, that those bits are really, and so it may be that another word that we could use that would have more resonance than information, which seems to have a little bit of a, a flat quality because it's been used, at least connotatively, in our society as data, as a quantitative gathering of data. Whereas intelligence has more
1: of its, in a sense, fuller. I agree. Wholeheartedly. I need to say that this is the first book of a trilogy. Okay. So, Information. Am I helping
0: you write the second? You have you, <laughs> no, you just written would. it
1: for me. So, I've
0: got, says Are it a you time. Adorable. <laughs> it's
1: done. It's done. Absolutely that.
0: Oh yes. The thing okay. is,
1: if I'd have used intelligence at the centre of creation, yes. or indeed consciousness, which would have been yes. overseas, yes, many many folks wouldn't have picked up the book. Because this book's a bridge. This book's between oh. the, if you like, the the, the the mundane, scientifically, yes, it's science, so it says it's right, to an understanding of unity, awareness, and unified reality. So this book, and of course, the way our universe does exist and evolve, yeah. it is... With information in the form of digitized bits that fully, not just underpin it, but are all pervasive, that are the fundamental stuff of it. Mm -hmm. What the book gets to is absolutely that um, uh, reality is unified and is consciousness. The next book takes... And is
0: intelligent. And of
1: course is intelligent. So the second book, called Guy Her Story, will carry that journey onwards. And the third book, Many Voices, One Heart, we talk about head, heart, and hands. That's the direction of travel. Beautiful. The third book's about what about us? What about humanity? If we begin to understand by the cosmic hologram, if we then go on to experience through our relationship deepening with each other and especially with our mother earth and the wider cosmos and the web of life, then what does it mean when we can come together as embodied microcosms of, of unified understanding? Then what? Then what? Because I feel at that point, then what means beliefs no no longer beliefs or faith. They are Deeply understood, experienced perspective of nature of reality, that then we can begin a new adventure, our next adventure as emergent microcosms of our universe souls journey.
0: Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, well, I'm glad. I I feel like I'm intuiting your next step, then.
1: As I say, you've written my next step. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: adorable. That's so funny. Well, this has been quite an adventure in consciousness for me, and I so appreciate you and your work, truly. It's like we're going from mind into heart into body, and that means action. And I, who am a Taurus, and am very committed to positive outcomes on the earth's plane and beyond, by the way, and beyond, but I like to start here with my feet on the earth and my head in heaven, as we Taoists like to say. Um, This is very important work because it is about healing that schism and it is a trauma for us to be separated from our true, authentic nature. And our programming in society historically is, in many ways, a disaster. And we could look at the positive side of it, and there's plenty of positive, but the the dark side of it has brought us to this point of having created so much harm to each other in our species, to other species, and even to the planet herself, Gaia Pachamama, who we both love and adore. So that's why I put it the way I did. There are, I know, it's the more courteous perspective to say it all happened the way it happened because it had to happen that way. But I'm not so airy-fairy about that, to tell you the truth. I feel that we could have been more disciplined in our perspective in Historically, and we could have cleaned things up way earlier in our trajectory. But, you know, you could say that's neither here nor there right now, and I appreciate that, too. We are where we are now, and thank goodness for your work and the work of such organizations as A Better World, if I may say honestly, and many, many others who are doing similar work with media, with education, with inspiration with explorations in consciousness so we can graduate and save our species and save other species and be kind and proper stewards to Mother Earth herself. So there is practical value in the work that you're doing once we can see and then implement its intelligence.
1: Absolutely. I mean, one of the very early endorsers of the book was a lovely gentleman and a doctor called Larry Dossi. And he said, basically, the issues that are being raised... Oh, he's wonderful. You know, the issues raised in this book are so important because they could make the difference between whether humanity is a viable species on Mother Earth. So if anybody says, what relevance does this have? Oh, yes. It's that relevance for our children and our grandchildren. I don't think there could be any greater relevance to that. By all means, that. exactly.
0: And if we want to be indigenous, which we should be in so many ways, uh, we want to think about, as the native peoples of Turtle Island say, think seven generations Absolutely. deep. Yeah. And then you will be perce- perceiving yourself as the proper placeholder in history and society. So, Jude Curvan, I want to just thank you again for your good work. Excellent work, in fact. Thank and you, I look Mitchell. forward to having you on again to continue forward.
1: Thank you so much, Mitchell. And, and thank you to everyone listening to us. And thank you for your great work. And you know, we're all in this together. We are. We're all fellow travelers on this amazing journey together. We really are. So thank you again. Absolutely.
0: And visit New York more often.
1: I, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody else said that once. But yeah. I, yes. <laughs> I'd love to.
0: It's wonderful. Jude Curvan, the author of The Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation. And you can get this book either from our website or visit her at hers. It's her full name, J-U-D-E C-U-R-R-I-V-A-N dot com. For more information as well as where Jude will be speaking in different parts of our beautiful planet. So thanks again for joining. I so appreciate I hope you went and did a deep dive the way I did with Jude here. And uh, remember us at www.abetterworld.tv. Remember also we are a nonprofit, so your donations, contributions, investing in a better world are so appreciated. It helps us sustain on the air. Thanks again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin and I look forward to seeing you all next week.